You're listening to Transplaner RPG, an all-transgender, people-of-color-led, dark fantasy actual play channel set in an original non-colonial, anti-orientalist multiverse. The Chaos Protocol is our second main campaign and stars Valiant Dorian, Kai K, and Sam Starr as players, with C. Thomas as the producer and Connie Chong as the game master. Transplaner RPG is sponsored by Explain Trade, a negotiation skills training consultancy whose director, Dimitri Opines, has asked us to say, and I quote, Please sign up for Transplaner's Patreon, because at some point people will figure out he's a cisgender white guy failing upward, and then he'll be too broke to sponsor us. We love you, Dimitri, and thank you so much for supporting our work. This episode is also brought to you by Die Hard Dice. If you're looking to add some gorgeous dice to your collection, check out Die Hard Dice. They have iconic metal dice, enchanting polymer dice, plus velvet dice trays, portable scrolls, and dice bags. Die Hard Dice is on a mission to be the shopkeep every hero looks forward to seeing, providing premium products that bring infectious delight to every table. They are driven by their customers' stories of adventure and daring, and they are so passionate about making dice and accessories that will help you elevate your gaming experience and keep telling stories in your own unique way. Use the code TRANSPLANER at checkout for 10% off any purchase at DieHardDice.com. The Chaos Protocol is a serious and dramatic campaign that explores intense themes. Audience discretion is advised. Content warnings for this episode include fantasy violence, grief, trauma, complex and complicated relationships, and mentions of death of loved ones. Arc 1, Episode 2 Till the Dawn From Self-Eulogy of a Martyr by Connie Chong In the beginning, there was nothing. In the beginning, there was everything. In the beginning, there was magic. In the end, there was chaos. The story has three voices. The voices have infinite sound. The path of love is smoke and thorn. The path of hate is all reborn. From beginning, the end. From end, beginning. You will know the burning path when you see it, chosen. You will know the end. When fate speaks, she does not speak to trans. She does not speak to the patron saints. She does not speak to anyone else in the entire journey, but to sing. And sing, gazing up at fate with eyes both wide and focused, lowers her chin to her collarbone, and at that exact same moment, moving in perfect synchronicity with their chosen, fate steps forward and kisses Sing on the brow. And when fate pulls away, the tattoo, the birthmark, the omen, on Sing's chest glows an intense, radiant pink, the same bright hue as their eyes. And Sing looks down, astonished, and when they look back up, fate is winking at them. Fate raises their hands with those soft, slender, world-making fingers, and they say, Well, 
I suppose it's time for trans to start answering those distress calls. Here they are, have fun! And then Fate claps her hands together once, and two things happen. The first, Fate and Magic vanish. The second, bursting into existence into the sky are a trillion, maybe more, pieces of paper. They flutter in the air like infinite confetti or butterflies' wings, drifting down to the ground below, and the crowd makes a collective noise, like wind breathing in to ignite a flame, and then everyone starts talking at once. There is shouting, there is weeping, there are cries of joy, relief, confusion, and hands flash out, reaching for these pieces of paper, and all of you glimpse words, black words on every single piece of paper. Some are random, brief phrases, burning, disaster, my car keys are missing. Others are longer, entire missives. The kingdom has fallen, the siege is at our walls, our gods are dead, I have nowhere else to turn. And still others aren't words at all, but feelings that bloom in your mind's eye when your hand makes contact with the paper, the smell of a storm, the sensation of fire, the bittersweet taste of poison. These distress calls as fate had named them, come in every shape and color, every form and size, ranging from small daily troubles to dire universal prayers for help. And for a heartbeat, Concourse B is in chaos. Sing stands at the front of it all, staring down at the shouts, the cries, the fragmented whispers and mumbles. There is awe in Sing's face, but there is also confidence. There is strength now, a solid assurance about the path that she is on, and most of all, there is hope. Sing starts to open their mouth, as though to address the audience to say something as fate's chosen among chosen. But then Artemis cuts in. Artemis, the third hand of fate, the patron saint of mortals is suddenly by Sing's side. They place a hand on their agent's shoulder and they step to the front of the stage. And as soon as Artemis takes the stage, the hubbub dies down, the crying ceases, the shouting fades. And behind Artemis, we see Lucy making a wide circular gesture with one arm and a burning sigil glows in the air. She punches the center of the sigil with the heel of her palm and every single piece of paper in the space vanishes. They burn up like comets ensconced in magenta flame. And Artemis raises a hand to quiet the swell that starts to rise. Calm yourselves. Agents of trans, the distress calls are not gone, they are simply collected. Hand Lucy has transferred them to the Prime Oracle for processing. This news is... tremendous. That much is obvious. Our priority is the Hands of Fate, and the leaders of the Syndicate will be to organize these new orders. Until we have plans in place, all current and future missions are being put on hold. All of them. Do you understand me? Your next assignments under Fate's new Mayday Protocol will be given in order of leaderboard ranking. 
And at that, Artemis gestures up at the massive board above the stage, and the names of the top 10 strike teams are displayed in huge letters, with the remaining 98 teams in much smaller font below. And we see the Twilight Guard at number one, which it has been for decades now, centuries. Meanwhile, your strike team, Strike Team Nova, is number 42. Not bad for a team with only four missions under your belt, but not spectacular either. Please wait for your assignment with patience and understanding. We are all doing our best to address the situation. In the meantime, Therapeutics and Recovery will be hosting drop-in therapy sessions for anyone who needs them, led by Han Yin. The Syndicate's resources are at your disposal to process this announcement. You are all dismissed. And with that, Artemis retreats from the stage, and as the audience breaks into nervous, seething chatter once more, we hold on Sing, up on that stage looking out at the crowd, with a sense of newfound purpose. As the crowd swirls, thousands of voices swelling together like a plume of smoke, we cut back to Zanin. Zanin, you are no longer in the crowd of Concourse B. You're in a meeting room. A comfortable, mid-sized chamber with a domed ceiling, cedar wood floors, and wide viewing ports that display peaceful, rustic vistas. A seaside cottage, a grassy clearing, a city at night. In the middle of this room, a couple dozen chairs, pillows, and stools are arranged in a circle. This is the Lone Survivor Support Group, or LSSG, one of many such therapeutic communities at Trans. There are usually a dozen, maybe two dozen attendees every week, but this session is packed to the gills. Zainan, you sit in a circle with everyone else. It's only been a few hours since the announcement in Concourse B, and tensions are still high. Some people are angry. Oblivion took their loved ones, their civilization, their entire planet. They are resentful, and they are hurt, and they feel like they're now stuck with cleaning up Oblivion's mess. Other folks feel overwhelmed. They're still mourning the people they lost, and they don't really know how to process this information. Rage doesn't fit. Grief even doesn't really fit. Nothing seems to fit. They're just in shock, and they don't know how to move forward. Still other people are sad, yes, a little angry, of course, but hopeful. The ones who feel this way are usually, but not always, the longer-term members of LSSG, folks who have grappled with their losses for years, decades even. And these folks seem to resonate with what Fate said about healing, though they aren't quite able to put everything they're going through into comprehensible words. Zainan. As this last person in this group finishes talking, Arush, the primary organizer of the LSSG, <clears throat> kind of clears his throat with a low bubble. Arush is a wildling person with wings made of rustling leaves and a face of pure water. His throat, his sternum, and his shins are made of liquid, a whispering vertical waterfall that changes cadence and rhythm depending on Arush's mood and we see little fish flitting in the depths of his eyes. Arush addresses the circle. Thank you, everyone, for sharing your feelings and holding the feelings of others. 
before we wrap up our drop-in group session today, Zynan, as one of our longer-term members, would you like to share a few words? Perhaps close out today's session? And as Arush looks at you, Zynan, with such open earnestness, you know that you've been attending LSSG for quite some time now, and Arush has taken a shine to you. I think you are in a lot of ways a rising star at the support group. And now you feel everyone in the circle's eyes fall upon you. Zynan, what do you say to the people of the Lone Survivor support group? Zynan did not walk into this room unprepared. Um, but still, when all the eyes turn on him, takes a long, deep breath. <sighs> uh, my name, as I was so graciously introduced by Arush, is Zanin. I am the last of my home, uh, a lone survivor. When I first came to Trans, I was told that my world was lost to oblivion. That, uh, that fate had more in mind for me. If I could trust in her, I could stop the next world from falling. If it is in her will, we do it in hopes that this group doesn't get any more members. And this is no different. Like us, Oblivion is worthy of a second chance. I'm not telling you this will be easy, but I know each and every one of you can do what we are called to. If we can save those doomed worlds, we can save Oblivion. Do it for fate. Do it for your homes. But most of all, do it for yourselves. Thank you. Oh, and uh, due to all this uh, Mayday protocol and the waiting, we're postponing the game night until uh, probably the next cycle. Yeah, Zynan, uh, as you kind of round out, people have already started like nodding and mm, going like, mm, and like snapping, you know? And then you say your thing about the game night and it's, like, a few people visibly deflate, uh, but there's like, there's an understanding nod, right? As everyone has kind of been like visibly hanging on to your every word, even the people who have been very mad and upset, they like take what you say very seriously. You have a very positive reputation in LSSG as someone who dispenses a lot of actionable and actually like deeply valuable wisdom. So I think on that, like Arush like smiles at you very gratefully and then claps their watery fingers together and kind of dismisses the group. And the meeting ends, folks start uh, standing up and they start like collecting their chairs and like stacking them along the edges of the walls, right? And as folks start to disperse, uh, Arush approaches you kind of in private in the middle of all this hustle and bustle. Hey, Zainan, thanks so much for saying what you did. I could really sense the tension in the room. You know, a lot of anger, a lot of hurt. You know, grief comes out in all kinds of ways. Lashing out, locking down. 
I think you really got through to a lot of people about how this is an opportunity to move forward, you know, to, to heal, to really heal. I hope so. Uh, listen, Arush, we've been at this a while and, uh, these people, maybe this is the change that they need, that, uh, that we need. Huh. <laughs> Seeing the silver foam on the top of every roiling ocean, I see. Well, you know, Zynan, we could really use someone like you in therapeutics and healing. If and when you ever do decide to hang up your field ops hat, just come talk to me. I'm sure we could even set you up with a group of your own, or heck, you could even take over for me. I don't want to take over your group, Arush, and uh, I'm not going to be the one to ask Artemis. So uh, I'm happy where I'm at. I feel like I'm executing what I was brought here to do. Well, the offer is evergreen, my good man. (laughs) As are you. Oh, uh, I think that fell out of your pocket there. Oh, no. <laughs> Zynan moves quickly to pick up what I'm assuming is a, a, a letter that he has had yes. tucked away. Oh, no. Yes. Uh, so there's been a letter tucked away, I think, inside your clothes for quite some time now that you kind of like when you first received it, you were like, I'll deal with this later. And you never really did. But now I think in, in the shuffling of moving around, it's now drifted to the floor. Uh, and Arush points it out, but immediately senses that you're kind of caging around it and kind of like raises his hands, his, you know, autumnal wings fluttering and whispering against each other. And he says, very well, very well. Uh, well, I, I better get going to uh, steward the next group, and I'm sure you're anxious waiting for your next mission assignment. I, uh, I will leave you be. Zynan takes this very nice-looking, maybe incongruent with Zynan, uh, nice-looking letter and tucks it back inside of his many layers. Yeah, uh, I'll, uh, I'll see you at the next meeting, Arush. Arush inclines his head in like a kind of shallow bow and exits. And at this point, everyone else has finished stacking their chairs, their beanbag, uh, plushes, their stools, etc. And you're now left in a now empty meeting room uh, with that letter, I think, still heavy against your body. And I think there's a moment here as you're the only one left in this chamber. And we see your shadow on the ground. Right, we see just, it's, it's not alive, it's not physical, it's not tangible, but it's there and it seems to be almost like looking at you as you look at it. And there's this kind of dust that seems to be falling from the shoulders of your shadow on the floor, even in this clean, pine-floored meeting room. And I think we like hold close on your face and kind of what's the expression that's peering through after everyone leaves? The moment that the last door close echoes through the room Zion's shoulders drop and he just puts his whole face in his hand takes a very slow very deep extremely practiced breath and forgets that the letter the room trans anything exists because all he can see is the shadow and the dust Mm. 
And I think we hold on you completely alone in this room with just your shadow, with just that suggestion, that ghost of dust drifting from your shade. And now we cut to the archives. There are many archives at Trans, libraries and Athenaeums, galleries and museums, repositories of knowledge and wisdom. And all of these areas are connected through the capital A archives, which is an ancient department, even by multiversal standards, that oversees every piece of information, memory, and knowledge that Trans has ever collected. And we push in now through stacks of dusty tomes, through wooden ramps curving up, 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 through shining deities that levitate their users to sky-high shelves. There are reading rooms with magical wards that muffle sound. There is light-tempered chambers for delicate manuscript. There are even sealed ritual halls for texts of the cursed and forbidden variety. And it is among these storied halls that we find you, Lumira. You are in one of the archive's many wings dedicated to magical studies. There is a desk before you, multiple desks actually, laden with books, scrolls, tablets, holograms. Uh, shelves tower all around you, filled with more volumes than your eye can count. The ceiling arcs high, high out of reach above your head. And I think we push it on you with a loud kind of sizzling crack and a sheer rainstorm of powdered light begins to float down around your head, Lumira, like thousands of little falling stars. And I wanna know what you're doing to cause such a commotion. I think as soon as that spark goes off, you just hear like the loudest fuck of just pure utter frustration. Lumira has been spending so much of her time here since what we'll call, what she's calling the incident, trademark. Um, and she's trying to figure out what went wrong. Healing magic is something that she had to work very hard to master in the way that she does. And she knows her magic like the back of her hand. And what happened was not hers. It doesn't make sense. Uh, so she's been going through every single tome that is possible. Every tome that she's went over, she has her book that's attached to uh, her belt open and there's so many pages that are just scrawled almost incoherently in text covered in retracing of runes over and over again and she's going through these papers and going through these books and she's trying different things what used to be her thing is she refuses to say it's becoming more difficult because that's not her and she would never admit that but she's starting to feel like she's getting a little bit less of a grasp on it. And in order to keep up appearances, in order to get to where she needs to go, where she wants to go, this has to be downpacked. 
and it can't happen again. Mm. So she's kind of going through trials of trying all of these different types of magic, going over these notes, retracing her steps as she's done millions of times since that day. Lumira, ever since the incident, trademark, TM, copyright, uh, you have used every uh, second of free time to spend here in the archives or even down at a training hall just trying a bunch of different kinds of what trans calls callings, which are the different kinds of magical disciplines that any one person could wield, right? Uh, and for your entire life, since you were a child, Lumira, since trans found you and took you in, you have been called, right? Or, or, or so you have assumed to the healing arts, right? Being a healer, being a, a cleric, being someone who, who helps people, who supports their team. That's what you've always done. That's what you're supposed to do, right? But like you said, and in a way you'd never admit to yourself, especially in recent days. It's hmm, it's not quite come naturally for you, has it, Lumira? Maybe even it's never quite come naturally for you, Lumira. It's always been a bit like swimming upstream for you, healing, pulling upon a calling that refuses to uh, answer you, at least in the ways that are legible to both of you, but still you have worked your entire life at it. You are nothing if not determined, if not diligent and disciplined, and you need to know what's going on with your magic if it's the last thing you do. And I think as these stars kind of explode uselessly around your head and you let out the fuck, uh, we hear a voice coming from across the table from you go, Hmm. Well, I guess star shaping really isn't your forte. I've never seen someone do that spell so wrong before. <laughs> oh, hey, Lumira. You know, why don't you walk me through what you saw from your shadow self on Zhuguang just one more time? And we see Elspeth Sanun, a harpy-like person who resembles a great horned owl. They have light tan skin and these brown feathers that frame their face, arms, shoulders, and lower body, and her taloned feet are crossed neatly as she rests in a large red armchair across the way from you. And a pair of big gold glasses rest against her feathered chest, uh, laid on an intricate gold chain. And Lumira, you've known Elspeth for a few years now at this point. She is one of the archivists at Trans, a steward of magical studies with a specialty in callings. And Elspeth isn't an active field agent, but they do devour the stories you tell with a kind of deep hunger. So how do you respond to Elspeth in this moment? I think Lumira just frustratingly pushes the books in front of her in anger and just kind of puts her head in her hands and is like, Elspeth, I swear to this entire universe, unless you have something that is useful right now, those glasses will become contacts. Do not try me right now. Yeah, uh, Elspeth, there's silence. And then she like tilts her head back and laughs. <laughs> oh, Lumira, classic Lumira. You know, you become someone else when you're frustrated, but I kind of like that about you. Just 
Walk me through it one more time, beat by beat. What did your shadow self do? Exactly. And almost in idea memory, recalling every single step down to I spun to the left. I grabbed with my left hand. I cut with my right hand, spun around with other, like every single step she made and then she gets to then and she still doesn't understand it but she kind of just looks down at her pocket watch click this but it hasn't i guess i'm trying to figure out where exactly what is that this doesn't work it's never worked I just keep it. It's the only thing I have left of home. Kind of the only thing I came here with. It's always been broken. Lumira, as you talk, a shadow creases Elspeth's feathered brow. And they kind of fidget on the armchair for a moment, as though lost deep in thought. And that kind of easy academic mask very quickly returns, hiding a kind of knot of worry from your sight. Hmm. You know, as much as I'm enjoying you misusing every single magical text I have from A to Z, I think I might possess something actually real for you. You know, just hold on here for a moment. And Elspeth vanishes into the sacks, or just silent, silently fluttering to the sacks. And she's actually gone for like a few minutes, like enough to make you almost like reach to a text again and try other magical disciplines. But then <laughs> Elspeth returns right as you're reaching for like a book of pyromancy and like snatch your fingers away. Uh, and she returns with an unmarked leather bound tome in her feathered hand. And the archivist stares down at this tome for a moment as though like reluctant to part with it. Your hand is already outstretched, but she, she holds it against her chest for a second. And then those bright eyes flash up to meet yours once more. You've been in here for weeks, months, Lumira, trying every single calling under the sun. And you know I know what happened with Strike Team Phoenix. I know it's been bothering you. So this text, and she raises the book next to her head, has been on my mind. And plus what you described, well, I think you can start to find some answers about your calling in this book. But, and she like pulls the book away from your outstretched fingers, this is a forbidden text, okay? Your strike team's ranking isn't nearly high enough to access its clearance level. I want to give it to you. I really do. And, you know, we've been friends for a while now, but I'd really be putting myself in a difficult situation because if my boss has found out, they'd definitely move me to a different department and all I have are the archives, you understand? You know, I could give this to you, but I need you to do something for me in return. I think even before she says, I need you to do something for me in return, she says, what do you need from me? And a smile cuts across Elspeth's face, and Lumira, you make your very first deal with the devil. And now we cut to Training Arena 83B, uh, several days later, actually, I think, from the announcement. Uh, this great hall is a coliseum 
of glass, of marble, of pulsing lights, and a vast winking ceiling above your head of dazzling stars. Dozens of trans agents train in this chamber, the smell of sweat, blood, and devotion swirling through the air. Actually, technically, dozens of trans agents would usually train in this chamber, but most people know that this is your favorite training hall, Seer, and they tend to avoid it on principle alone. After Fate's announcement earlier this week, many of the field operatives working on strike teams are spending time with friends and loved ones, they are processing the news, they are taking a much-needed break before being reassigned to their new May Day missions. But Sayer, you are not most people. And we find you now in the midst of this training facility, surrounded by sparring pits, by mundane and magical training dummies, racks of wooden weapons, and vast networks of flooring that can be arranged at a moment's notice to suit any agent's combat needs. Every hall at Trans has state-of-the-art equipment from across the multiverse, and a special training oracle that can shift the landscape at a moment's notice. Sayer. What strenuous, difficult activity do we find you throwing yourself into? Sayer has uh, removed his usual trans uniform and has now opted into his training uniform, which is a sleeveless muscle tank that's kind of similar to Artemis's, but not quite. He wears these weighted bands that he has retrieved from a little bin that is assigned to him labeled with his name and requires his fingerprint to unlock. And it is a collection of weights that he attaches to his arms, his legs, and across his chest over his top surgery scars. And he checks the weightage that Artemis has now assigned to him for this week. It feels heavy, but not heavy enough that he can't run with it, but enough to feel the strain. And he hasn't been able to talk to his siblings since the announcement. She's always been gushed over by everyone, usually, but even more so now that she's received her destiny. And he hasn't had the time to talk to to them since 609-34114. Really talk? And he's no good at talking, so maybe he'll just run it out and hope that the words will come to him. And so he looks over to the training oracle and he says, Training oracle, give me the first two readings of the time trial for this circuit. Circuit 47B, please. And we see whisking into existence a training oracle. Like all oracles, it's an orb. Uh, most uh, mission-assigned oracles are kind of swirling iridescent spheres. Training oracles thrum with a steady, I think, kind of gray glow that changes colors based on the kind of regimen you're putting it through. And you hear its voice ring in your head, uh, and it goes, that training regimen is not recommended for a strike team member of your stature. Just tell me the readings, Training Oracle. Who has the first and second time readings for this training? First place for this training regimen is Sing. 18 seconds exactly. Second place for this training regimen is Cove. 19.15 seconds. Sing is from Strike Team Nova, ranked 42. Cove is from Strike Team Phoenix, ranked 40. 
Well, seeing as though it's my sister that has done the best timing on this, you'll forgive me, training Oracle. Begin the circuit. I must issue another warning before I confirm the training circuit for you. Your time gaps on various other training regimens are not sufficient to clear the lowest bar necessary to engage this protocol. Do you wish to proceed even at risk of great bodily injury and shame? Proceed. It's your funeral. And then it flashes red, and we see the tiles in this training room tessellate and change. And before you, there is kind of like an obstacle course from point A to point B. It is timed. It's based on how fast you can cross it. And we see swinging blades. We see dummies that like burst into phosphorescent flame. We see pits that open up randomly. They're even like ghost monsters in one area that's just swarming, like swarming an entire circular arena. Like it's like everything out of a nightmare. And we cut through the swinging blades, right? The snapping jaws of the ghosts all the way back to you at the very front of this uh, training stage. Sayer stretches his muscular build and uh, tries to ease into the weights that Artemis has assigned him. And he exhales and he breathes and he steadies himself, looking towards that finishing line. As the scene plays over of people rushing past him to speak to Sing, of Sing getting up and fearlessly cuts down through all these shades to get to Inka, all of those things flash into his mind and he looks down at his black tattoo formed when he finally awakens to his gift. Colorless, not shining pink like Sing does, just the same as it always was. Nothing happened for him, <laughs> only to sing. I may not have my path, but I have patience and I have violence. And he will unsheathe his crescent blades from his back and will begin the obstacle course. Sayer, to see how successful you are, I need you to tell me, how badly do you want this? I want this so badly that I am digging into the depths of myself that I had not touched since 609-34114. But only a touch. I'm not going to go as deep. Just, I want to be able to actually feel like I could use my strength for once. Sayer, this obstacle course is meant to be a test of courage, of perception, and of agility, right? The blades to be avoided, the various pits to be jumped over, a test of instinct and a test of investigation. You barrel through it like a freight train. You punch through the swinging blades with your body, like they leave gashes on your form. You don't even care. You like just barrel through the opening pits. You just jump, bam, 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 big craters opening up on the tiled floor from where you land. And I think you just blast through the ghost monsters like they're not even anything. Grabbing jaws and gnashing teeth and slashing claws reach for you, tearing at your form, at your body, and you are bruised. You are weathered. They're like ripping you to shreds almost, but you just like, you just go through it. You punch through it like a comet. And like, what is the force? What is the like energy that wraps around you as you cross that finish line? White hot fire. 
as he blazes through, setting the ghosties on fire, setting the wood and rope holding the blades on fire, his uh, boots that are uh, holding him as he is running and, like you said, commenting through this entire obstacle course is um, non-existent by the time he reaches the end of it. And as he like barrels through all of this, his weights are only held together by the bands, these tight rubber bands and the shelling, like the cloth shelling over it has begun to incinerate and heat the metal underneath that is holding, holding the weights on him. Yeah, as you cross the finish line, you are literally smoldering. <laughs> like you're smoking and you can like, you're bleeding a little too. There's bruises over you. There's burn marks, scorch marks, but you're heaving your breath. And we see the training oracle, which was uh, orange while you were doing the course, uh, light up green. And we hear a voice ring out that says, new record, new record. Sayir from Strike Team Nova, 17.90 seconds. Yes! 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 And as he screams, I think a bolt of fire shoots out towards like maybe a wall and then he like quickly retrieves it. <laughs> yeah! The, this destructive energy pulses outward once, but you lance it back in. It's a little too late though. You leave a smoldering hole in a nearby wall. And I think as you're standing there panting, right, sweating, bleeding in victory, we cut now to Artemis's office. Or rather, to the hallway outside of Artemis's office, where we find a row of chairs pushed up against the wall. And on the other side of this corridor, we see a long, splendid viewing bay that displays a purple night sky with so many gleaming stars. And sitting in this row of chairs, waiting for the rest of her strike team to arrive, is Sing. As of a few hours ago, all of you had been informed by your team's oracle that Artemis was nearly ready to give you your May Day assignment. And Sing, as we like push in on her, she's basically like vibrating in her seat. She's jiggling her legs. She's tapping her fingers against her chair. She's rocking from side to side. And Sayer, I think you're the first to arrive here, still like drenched in sweat and bleeding from the training. Uh, she immediately turns in her seat to look at you with those bright pink eyes. Sayer, uh, Sayer, there you are. Wasn't that announcement from Fate just splendid? Yeah, yeah. Um, I realized we didn't really get to chat afterwards. You were uh, busy. Wait, didn't we? I thought we did. No, uh, it's fine. We, we, we can talk right now. Okay, yeah. And he kind of like looks over to Artemis, who he's like gauging what they're doing. Artemis is actually not, okay, in, not in this hallway. hallway. Yet. Okay. Uh, you're just, you're outside oh, awesome. the okay, hallway. Cool. Uh, it's kind of like a principal's <laughs> office <laughs> sort of situation, like sitting Understood. in like the chairs outside of it. Sayer kind of just kind of like, even then, as if he thinks Artemis could hear him from the inside of the room out here, he kind of like just like gestures saying to like come closer and like huddle like they used to do as kids, like by, by the hallway. Uh, and he like lowers down, he swishes his little lion tail. And he goes, I, I want to say I'm proud of you. Say, your whole life, it's happening right now and I, I know I know I messed up all right I know I know that I wasn't the brother you needed me to be oh Sayer you know that's just that's no, that's in the no, past no. right like who, who who cares about the past it's, it's about the present the, the future now it's it's fine okay you, you just it's it's fine 
I know, but I want you to hear from me. I'm your brother, okay? And I'm with you every step of the way. Let's make this happen, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, let's make it happen. And Sing, like, folds you in a big hug and, like, squeezes you. Maybe a little too tight. Your ribs are so yeah. bruised. You're so uh, bleeding. Yeah. Uh, squeeze, and she lets he, go. He, like, squeezes back and oh. ruffles, uh, like, Sing's mane. Yeah. Uh, and then, like, mm -hmm. jumps back, and he's like, oh, yeah, sorry, I didn't have time to clean. Ooh. I just didn't. Wow. Have you been training again? Like, overtraining? You know what Artemis told you about overtraining? Well, no. Actually, I have some really good news. I... Yeah? I beat your record in uh, Circuit 47B. I I managed to hit the top record there. Oh. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah, the trading oracle uh, was... And you know what that totally reminds me of, Sayer? The timing of my destiny, right? I mean, I've been waiting my whole life, my entire life, Sayer, to learn what my purpose is. And fate just told me. She literally just told me. She just gave it to me on a silver platter. I mean, I still don't think I entirely understand exactly what she said. I think it was some kind of prophecy, right? But still, I feel like there's been this huge weight lifted off my chest. And now I can finally do what I was always meant to do. And Sing looks at you with such like, she's so excited for herself. You know how important this is for her, right? That it's just like, she heard what you said, but it kind of just bounced off of her, right? And she looks at you with that eagerness and that expectation. How do you respond? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, you did. It was almost like you almost predicted it back in Zhiguang. You, you just <sighs> said that. I know. You have a uh. funny way of doing that. Well, you know what we always say here, there are no coincidences. I just, I just never thought it was gonna to be today of all days. And isn't it all just so amazing? I mean, I know people have a lot of mixed feelings about the news. Like I, I completely understand, right? And Oblivion, that's just like, like mind blown, right? But also we get to help people now, like directly and openly. And I know we were helping people before, but it was so frowned about, you know? Like Fate said, place a book yeah, here, yeah. make sure four strangers meet in a tavern there. But now we're answering prayers and we're making an active positive difference. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And Sayer, Singh kind of just goes on and on and on about all of the matters of her destiny, about Fate's new Mayday missions, about a variety of other related topics. You're just kind of like sitting there like nodding, not able to get a word in edgewise. And that's when the rest of Strike Team Nova arrives. Zynan and Lumira, which of the two of you is the first to come? Zynan's boots resonate down the hallway and he can move very quietly, but here in trans, he can often be heard before he is truly seen. And you can hear the clack slowly, methodically, of the wooden heel of his boot. And he stops. What is that smell? Um, uh, I'm sorry, Zena, sir. I, um, I think that's... And I think he, like, Sarah looks... We talked about this sir thing. You have to stop. Sainan. Sorry. Um, I I think, and he kind of like looks over to like a bit of his tail that might be slightly still on fire. And he like quickly, like nervously grabs that tail and just hats it. Uh, just a uh, big training circuit. Sing. Yes, Zainan. Hello. Congratulations. 
Thank you, Zayden. I know, isn't it incredible? I was just telling Sayer about how I think these new Mayday missions are gonna go. See, I hope we get a really big one because I mean, we just completely blew our fourth mission out of the water. And and as like, as Sin kind of goes on and on and on, that's when I think Lumira arrives. You took the words directly out of my mouth, much to her chagrin. You hear her boots frantically darting down the hallway, just incessant. And then probably about five or 10 feet away from the door, they come to an abrupt stop and pause for a second. And then she walks in the door, bury every heel to ground is intentful and purposeful. And she's clearly was like straightening herself up and comes in like hand steepled uh, and carrying that book to her chest as if her life depends on it. And as she's coming into the door, she's stuffing the book into her cloak before she sits down. Hey, Lumira. Agent Zainan. Lumira. Say here. Hi. Sing. Hi, Lulu. You might want to look after Seer. I, I, I'm all right, really. No, you, you don't. You don't have to worry about it. I, I'm all right, really. No, it's totally fine. Sorry. Hold on. And she will get down on one knee and start patching you up. Pass you another gum strip. Now, before I do anything internally, please do me a favor right now. Hmm. She like shoves it into your mouth practically. Yeah. <laughs> he he like takes it his in his teeth and, and chews it and just nods with understanding. He's like, I understand. And he just holds his arms out for you to do what you need to do. Yeah. And Lumera just starts, uh, she pulls out like a bandage of some sort and like presses it across your chest, traces it in arcane ruins, and you feel like the tissues starting to heal deep inside before it itself closes up. Sayers beat red. <laughs> a good agent enters their mission well. Right, Sing? Yes. Yes, a hundred a hundred percent. Exact what Zynan said. What do you think our mission will be now? Well, as I was telling Zynan and here, I hope it's something huge, Lumira. Like absolutely massive, because we knocked mission number four out of the park. Can I get just a whoop whoop in this hallway? Woohoo! We are gonna crush it. Mayday protocol, that is us, baby. We are going to, we're gonna, we're gonna do this, right? Anyone else feeling like, like they could run like a thousand miles right now? Because I ain't been feeling this way for the past 10 days and I, and that's when all of you hear footsteps coming down the hallway. Rounding the corner are the members of Strike Team Phoenix. Rank 40, exactly two rungs above your party and the team that Lumira left due to the, um, hashtag incident. Phoenix works under Hand Lucy, whose teams have a reputation for flair. First, we see Naeem. Naeem is broad-shouldered and strong, with brown skin so dark it is almost pure black. He has round, gold-rimmed glasses and a single obsidian crystal horn that protrudes from his forehead like a unicorn. He has a well-manicured fade and soft, dark curls that rest on his brow. And despite the strength of their build, 
Naeem also appears rather bookish and academic, like a scholar with a commanding and confident presence. Zainan, you are particularly familiar with Naeem's personality, given your history. Mm -hmm. And as he approaches, Naeem pins you with a look, his hazel eyes narrowing. Zainan very pointedly inclines his hat with no smile or joy in his eyes. Mm. <laughs> uh, next to Naeem is Cove, a muscular butch woman with a staggering presence. She has light brown skin and short black hair that's shaved on the sides, uh, but long and shaggy in the back, kind of like a punk mullet. And they wear intricate, futuristic, almost kind of like cyberpunk, black plate armor with gold and white trimmings. And they carry a massive greatsword across their back. Cove makes eye contact with Sing immediately. In the middle of Sing, like spinning around and like, you know, being very joyful, Sing pauses as the two of them make eye contact. And Cove gives Sing a curt, respectful nod, even though her emerald green eyes linger a touch too long on Sing's for it to be a mere look between colleagues. And then Cove's gaze falls on Stare. And that sparkle of respect, that sparkle of longing, vanishes completely like a flame being snuffed. And we see a sneer curling on Cove's lip and she looks down the bridge of her nose in Sayer's direction. And next to Cove is Amaru Hendrix. Amaru has deep brown skin and wears loose, delicate silken robes with leather padded armor. Z has strikingly handsome features dotted with golden piercings. His hair is in twists, dark at the roots, but otherwise blonde. Z wields a gorgeous handcrafted lance that is every bit as divine and angelic as Z is. But most notably, Amaru's right arm is made of bone. It's completely skeletal. There is no flesh on it. There is no blood. It is just bone encased in a sheen of gold plating. And that is, of course, because of you, Lumira, because of the incident. In fact, as soon as Amaru's eyes land on you, his radiant face darkens. And Amaru makes a huge show out of draping Zir bone arm over the shoulders of the fourth and the newest member of Strike Team Phoenix, a recent and completely unfamiliar replacement from therapeutics and recovery, Ash. Ash is an unassuming, willowy person with light gray skin and ram horns that curl behind their ear to touch their jaw. Their hair is as white as snow. It is blunted perfectly at the bangs and at the chin. And a spaded tail curves behind them, and their light blue eyes have these horizontal sheep-like pupils. Strike Team Phoenix pauses in the hallway to look at the four of you. Strike Team Nova. Naeem, in particular, keeps his hazel eyes locked on Zainan. And as you, like, kind of, like, gesture with the brim of your hat and look at him with absolutely no joy, he looks back at you with... Anger. That's right, Zainan. Anger. It is controlled, but it is very much there. And Naeem turns to the rest of their strike team and says, Give me a minute, team. And as Naeem speaks, he also signs in SSL, Syndicate Sign Language, which blends gestures, facial expressions, and body movements and pictograms via oracle-projected glyphs. 
and Ash, the newest member, responds just in SSL with an affirmative, the pictograms of their oracle glowing with a flashiness of someone who is more well-versed in the language and culture as they appear to be deaf themselves. And Naeem kind of rounds on you in particular, Zainan, but approaches your group as uh, generally speaking as well and begins to approach. Can I help you? Zainan. Are you here to confront the future head-on with the rest of the Syndicate, or are you too busy playing LSSG's poster boy? I thought you'd be proud of that, actually. Proud of what? Smoke and mirrors? <laughs> nope. No mirrors. That's your bag. Naeem's eyebrow quirks for a second. His perfectly crafted jaw quivers uh, with that barely controlled emotion. And they go on to say, through gritted teeth, almost, you know, I really don't know what's worse. Reading my letter and ignoring its contents, or not opening the letter in the first place. Some of us have been busy. Busy. Naeem, have you met Singh, the chosen of fate? Singh. A pleasure. Busy, Zainan. It's been four missions with your new strike team, and you still refuse to actually look me in the face in any way that matters. At least I offer you the dignity of recognition. I'll read your damn letter. She's not right now. You better. And before your next mission. These Mayday protocols are not like what we're used to. The stakes are higher. People are in danger. You owe it to yourself and everything you claim to stand for to take care of this team that you're now on. I'll look after mine, you I look after yours. We'll see about that. It's good to see you. He does not return that. <laughs> he does not return that pleasantry. Uh, and then he turns to look at the rest of you and, you know, addresses each of you in turn by name. Sing, Sayer, Lumira. As Naeem calls your name last, Lumira, his face softens a little. And then he kind of like turns to stride down the hallway with the rest of Phoenix following. And on Zero Way Out, Amaru glowers at you, Lumira. It's hard to tell who looked at who with more hate, Naeem at Zion or Amaru at Lumira. It's, it's a close contest. Uh, Zir's arm is still draped around Ash's shoulders and Ash looks completely unbothered, uh, but they're also not returning the affection necessarily. They're just kind of walking onward with an easy expression on their face, but they do glance at you, Lumira, and give you like a kind of easy little wave. And whatever tension you have with Amaru and with Phoenix seems to just fly over Ash's head completely, like as the replacement. You don't even know if they know about the incident or if they do, how they feel about it. I think Lumera is essentially doing kind of the same thing, looking ev trying to look everywhere but at Amaru. And then she notices the so blatant effort of putting this arm around their replacement. And I think Lumira, she's standing with her team. So she says it low enough for them to hear, but not for Zay. And just goes, that asshole always had a thing for healers. You better be lucky he's still alive. I could have just left him there. <gasps> okay, yeah. Um, as Phoenix passes your group and starts around the corner on the other end of the corridor, we hear Cove 
gossiping out loud and also in SSL about mission 609-34114. And the pictograms on Cove's oracle are flashing in a powerful rhythm as we just kind of overhear her say, and then Seer messed everything up on that poor backwater plane. What was it called again? Earth or something like that. You know, Nova might have even overtaken us on the scoreboard if Seer had ruined everything. But that's what he's good at, you know, ruining things. Good for us, at least. How far away is Cove? <laughs> Down the hallway, maybe 15 feet away. I think a hand comes out like, hey, now. <laughs> Lumira, of course, steps out in front of Seyir at that moment and looks you directly in the eyes. No, let me. And turns. <clears throat> Fine. And she kind of stomps back when she hears Zainan, like, clear his throat. Dad never lets us have any fun. No, it's Zainan's right. And I and like he says that Sayer says that acknowledges that, but there is a heat that radiates off of his body, and all he says is the following. And when he says this sentence, it echoes with a deep rumbling from deep within his chest, as he says, "Don't trip over your delusions of grandeur, Co. Like a warning of something to come." Yeah, right before Strike Team Phoenix rounds the corner and just vanishes in, deeper into trans, we see Cove look, those emerald green eyes fixing on you as you mutter that, not a threat, but a warning, right? And her gaze narrows, right? As though trying to rise to the challenge, but there is also something flashing underneath her gaze. A trepidation, maybe? Fear? Because she has seen your danger, has experienced it quite directly and knows the exact kind of violence you possess within you. And then Cove is gone and the rest of Phoenix is gone and the hallway is just the four of you. Assholes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Singh turns to face you and her face is like kind of scrunched up. She, she looks bothered by what Cove said as well, even though she had kind of like returned the kind of smoldering gaze with a little cheeky smile. She does look bothered by it though. And she tells you, Sayer, hey, uh, you know that's not true, right, Sayer? It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. I have my destiny, and there's no way we're failing now, okay? This is what we were meant for. All of us, we're Strike Team Nova. You're right. We're only two places behind. Let's overtake them. Yeah. We're gonna knock them right off that leaderboard with our next mission. I, I can just, I can feel it. Are you now, Sing? And the door is open. And Artemis stands there with her arms crossed, a frown over her brow. But then something in that almost empty, blank expression shifts. And a tiny glimmer of, what is that? A smile comes on to Artemis's face as they look at Strike Team Nova. They give you a even, careful expression and then she speaks good you're all here and finally all on time the oracle's directive for your mayday mission was a big one you've been assigned to mission 021648 the wild sea
This episode was brought to you in part by Knave of Cups, an independent online game store out of Portland, Oregon, run by two friends with a mutual appreciation for the fantastic and whimsical. Knave of Cups stocks solo RPGs, tarot-driven games, as well as all kinds of play accessories, dice, playing cards, tarot decks, and more. Knave of Cups proudly supports inclusion and diversity in the TTRPG community, viewing games as art and believing that art is for everyone. Knave of Cups drops new stuff on the first Friday of every month, and they're here to transport you to other worlds. Knave of Cups is a great place to find a unique gift for that special nerd in your life, which could be yourself. Check out Knave of Cups today and use the code TRANSPLANER at checkout for 10% off any order. Pledge to our Patreon today for as little as $3 a month to unlock exclusive news, character sheets, GM notes, and even the chance for your tabletop OC to cameo in our show. Until next time, Transplay Nerds!